0: In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story, and that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. If you think about the word mystery, because you're going to see that word several times, in this passage, if you think about the word mystery, there's kind of two ways that maybe most commonly we we think about that word. Uh, one is, you know, we were just out west this past week. We drove around to some of the national parks, and so we listened to podcasts a lot while we were driving. And a lot of podcasts are uh, true crime podcasts. We were on, on one that was kind of dealing with cold cases. And those are mysteries, right? Like there's a secret of truth that is unrevealed. Now, that truth is obviously associated with a crime, but that truth has not yet been revealed. And so we use mystery that way a lot, about there being something that we do not know. It's a mystery. But we also use it to mean stuff sometimes that we can't comprehend. We might know it. We might intellectually engage it, but we don't understand it. Like I might say... Most of you would agree, the fact that my wife is still with me is a mystery to me, right? Like that it, it's hard to fathom why that would be true. I get that it's true. I understand intellectually that it's not a secret to me, but it is hard to fathom. And actually, in this passage, as we move into Ephesians chapter three, the word kind of carries with it both of those meanings for us today. Paul's using it that way both to say there is something that was a secret that was not fully revealed that now we are seeing revealed, but there's also a piece of it that as it's revealed to us and as we come to know it, it's still a mystery to us why and how it is true. The Greek word actually is very easy. It's mysterion. So obviously that one didn't go very far to get into English, the word mystery. So the Greek word is mysterion. And then in reality, what it means just in the Greek language is just something hidden or secret, like we already said. But in biblical context, the sense of it is always or almost always a divine secret. Something that is known by God, but not yet known by man or was at one point known by God and not known by man, but is now being revealed to humanity. And so that is the literal definition. There's a hidden truth that Paul's getting after here, a a doctrinal understanding that we will come, that we have come to see, quite frankly, that in times past was not understood. But also Paul's getting at this, and this is the main takeaway of the of this passage today. It defies logic, right? Like even as you come to understand the mystery, it still defies logic. It's still a mystery to me that God would save any of us, let alone that God would use any of us. That's a mystery. The mystery is that he does, and the mystery is that he does. Like, it's illogical. And the great mystery of the gospel is that both of those things are an actual reality through Jesus. So, Father, today, what we know not, and, and, and I, I pray this every week from my heart, I pray that it never becomes rote. There's so much I do not know as the preacher today. And there's so much that we do not know as your children today. And what we know not, will you please teach us? We cannot learn it unless you teach us. What we are not, and there are so many deficits that we have that can only be made up by you and your grace and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so what we are not, please make us today. And what we have not, please give us. We must hear from you. We must receive from you today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Paul's going to jump in and and kind of if you want to if you were to outline this, the first 10 verses, we're going to have 13 verses today, the first 10 verses of chapter 3 are the bulk of the outline. Paul talks about the layers of the mystery. So this is a gospel mystery, and he talks about the layers of that mystery. And then verses 11 and 12, he's going to talk about the purpose of the mystery. And then in our final verse, verse 13, the comfort of the mystery. If you're somebody that likes to have those things to hold on to. But he introduces the bulk of what we'll talk about today, the layers of the mystery in verses one through three, which read like this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Remember, the church at Ephesus was made up primarily of those who were not of Jewish Jewish descent. They were not ethnic Jews. There were some ethnic Jews in many or not, if not all of the churches that Paul planted, but in Ephesus, it would have primarily been those who were not of Jewish descent. And on behalf of you Gentiles, he says, verse 2 Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Now, if you read between the lines of those, Three verses, what he's done is he's given us a thesis statement for the first ten verses that we're going to address here. He said there's two layers to this mystery, and those layers actually have layers. Like I said, we just got back from out west, and uh, I actually gained two kind of images this week that help us understand this. The first is layers. We were in Zion National Park. Absolutely stunning. Every corner we were like, what? Are you serious? And then the next, what? What? Are you kidding me? Like the whole day was like that. But if you get up close to some of those rock formations, what you'll see is that they're layered, right? which is, I guess, commonly understood. But, you know, like the grooves in the rocks will be going this way in one place, and then they'll be going this way right above it, and then above that it'll be a different color and a different texture, and it's all these layers upon layers upon layers. And so what from a distance looks like one thing, when you get up close, it's these multiple layers, different, unique textures, colors, layers. Paul says there's layers to this mystery, and even those layers have layers. They are lay- there are layers of layered layers in the mystery of the gospel. And what he says is his primary goal is for us to know that this is for the Gentiles. That's one layer of it. But it's not just for the Gentiles, it's for all people. And so while he makes a specific point about the Gentiles, he also makes sure to share his own story as the apostle, a Jew, an ethnic Jew. And in doing so, he says, this isn't just true for the Gentiles, it's true for everyone. This mystery isn't just about the Gentiles, it's about everyone. And the first layered layer of that mystery is that God would save any of us. It's a mystery that God would save any of us. And he shares a little bit of his story in verses 4 and 5. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ. There's a little self confidence there, by the way. He's like, I know when you read this, you're going to know Christ better, which was true. It was true, and he knows that you're going to have better insight to the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men in other generations. At it as it has now been revealed to uh, to his whole, which was not made known. Sorry, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now Paul's telling a story there of a group of people of which he is included who have had the mysteries of the gospel revealed to them at a greater level. Paul is an apostle. We talked a few weeks back about how this this way, of because this is the second time he said apostles and prophets in the book of Ephesians. When he talks about prophets, he's talking about other authors of New Testament Scripture, like uh, John Mark, for instance, was not an apostle, but yet he was inspired by God to write Scripture. Therefore, he gets the title prophet in the New Testament. These apostles and prophets, of which he is one, have had their eyes opened to see with new understanding the realities of the gospel. He says, that's my story. God saved me. God opened my eyes to see the gospel. One way to think about what he means, because he says in days past, generations past, there wasn't this in-depth understanding of the gospel that there is now. But the Old Testament prophets did prophesy of a Messiah to come, of the work that he would do. So here's another picture from my trip. We actually have photographs. When you're driving out of Las Vegas, it's flat forever. It's desert forever. Forever, but as you get close to the Arizona border... Oh, go back. Can you go back? Don't do that yet. There we go. As you get close to the Arizona border, you start to see these mountains. But it's just two-dimensional, right? Somebody told me, they said, you'll go, you'll be driving, and you'll see these mountains forever. They'll be there forever. They'll just be there. You feel like you're never getting to them. They're just going to be there. Two dimensions. The height and the width was all we knew. But then, boom... You're in the mountains. These are the Virgin Mountains, the Virgin River, if you've heard of it, and the Virgin River Canyon is is found in these mountains, and you literally drive directly through them. And all of a sudden, what was two-dimensional, right, understood but not completely, becomes three-dimensional, all the depth of it. If you've ever flown into Denver, you know this. If you then drove from the airport to Denver and all of a sudden end up in the Rockies, right? Like, boom, there they are. You understand what it's like to be an Old Testament prophet versus a New Testament prophet. Old Testament prophets had two dimensions, a promise of the Messiah and all the things that he would deliver. But They didn't yet know the depth of those promises. They didn't know the the timeline as well, the continuum as well. But now Paul, the Apostle, and the other authors of Scripture are in the mountains. They're beginning to see the depth and the width and all three dimensions of the promises. This is what's happened to Paul. Paul never gets over it. And we shouldn't either. That God has chosen us to have our eyes open to these realities. Of the gospel. That we get to be among the people who know the height and the breadth and the depth of these gospel mysteries. Paul says, it's a mystery to me that God would save me. It's a mystery that God would save anyone. In verse 6, he applies it directly to the Gentiles. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles, are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That was promised in the Old Testament too, that through Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed. That includes Gentile nations. But it was a 2D promise, two-dimensional promise. Yes, there would be folks like Rahab and Tamar, women and and other foreign uh, men and women brought into the kingdom of God from outside of the Jewish race but not in the numbers and in the mass uh, salvations that we see in the New Testament. That promise is taking on a three-dimensional depth for those who are not ethnic Jews in the New Testament. And Paul says that's the mystery. That's one of the layers of the mystery is that God wasn't just going to save His people, the ethnic Jews, but He was also going to save people from every tribe and tongue and nation, the Gentiles. It wasn't a mystery that he would do it, it was a mystery how he would do it, and now that mystery has been brought to bear. The other layer of the mystery is that God doesn't just save us, kind of get into the kingdom and then we just sit the bench, but God uses us. Paul starts with his story too, Layered, layer number two is that God would use any of us, let alone the the Gentiles and so in verses seven and nine, uh, seven through nine, Paul shares his. Version of how that happened to him of this gospel, he said, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace So God gave me a job. God didn't just save me. He's going to use me, which was given to me by the working of, of his power to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is Paul's mission. This is his job. This is how he's being used by God. Verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul says, it's not just a mystery to me why God would save me. It's a mystery to, to me why God would use me. I'm the least of all the saints. He's not blowing smoke when he says that. It's not false humility, right? I love social media because one of the things we're great at social media is false humility, right? The humble brag, like that's a thing that we uh, have acquired as 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 a society. We're able to now do that through social media to come off as humble, but it's really just kind of a false air. This isn't for Paul. You remember Paul, he's running coat check when they stoned Stephen to death. They lay their coats at his feet. He stands there condoning it while the wheels in his mind are turning for how he's going to set out and embark all throughout Palestine and areas surrounding capturing Christians, dragging people out of their homes and putting them in prison. Seeing Christians both imprisoned and murdered. That's his past. He's taking ownership of that. What it means, right, to be humble is to take ownership of who you are apart from Jesus. It's not about self-loathing. It's not about beating yourself up. It's about an honest realization and ownership of the fact that apart from Jesus, you have nothing. Apart from Jesus, I have nothing. Paul was fully aware of that. But what he was also aware of, and this is part of true humility too, was that God was using him. He knew that even though his past was riddled with sin and shortcomings and weaknesses and mistakes and just downright evil things, that God was still using him. He doesn't underestimate what God can do through him, and he doesn't deny who he was apart from Jesus. That's where true humility is the intersection of those two things. Knowing who you are apart from Jesus and knowing who you are because of Jesus together it gives you humility. So Paul is truly humble as he shares his story that God would even use him. But then the layered layers of this layer continue in verse 10. He says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. This goes a direction you're not expecting. You think it's going to say to the world, but it doesn't. It says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is nuts, okay? It really is. Bear with me just a second here. God uses the church to reach the whole world. We saw that in chapter one. So that would have been a true statement. If he'd have finished the sentence that way, that would have been true. He put all things under Jesus' feet. This is Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. He put all things under His feet, Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus as the head over all things to the church. And the church is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. We talked about this weeks ago, that as the church, we display the very fullness of God to the world. In us, the church, the world around us sees not just a little bit about Jesus, but is supposed to see through the church the very fullness of God. That's wild. Paul could have finished the sentence in chapter three that way. You, 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 you show this to the world. But instead he goes to something that he also taught or that, that Peter talks about in first Peter chapter one, verse twelve. What Peter's doing in his first epistle is he's talking about this same mystery that God would save anybody, that God would use anybody. In particular, the Gentiles, but that God would save any of us. It's a mystery. And he says in verse 12, you kind of go to the end of the verse. He says, those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He said this mystery that was proclaimed to you, get that last sentence, these, this mystery, this gospel, are things into which angels long to look. Okay. Verse 10 again. I'm going somewhere. My mind's blown by this, and, and I'm trying to get you guys there. Verse 10, so that through the church, us, the people of God, the manifold wisdom of God, the mystery of the gospel might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. R.C. Sproul helps us out with a quote. He says, it is the task of the church to make God's plan of salvation plain, not just to the world, but to the whole cosmos, even the heavenly beings. This is what the Bible says. That when we live and love and exemplify the realities of the gospel, the mysteries of the gospel, that angels in heaven who are with Jesus every day, with God every day, gain a better understanding of the gospel than they had before. That's insane. When you live like Jesus, you preach to angels the realities of the gospel. You display the fullness of God to the world, to the people, the humans around you. I think we kind of get that one, but this other level is insane. Both levels are insane. That God would use us for the first is crazy. But that part of His plan too is to... right. They've been with Him for, for however long, but the plan of the gospel shared by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit throughout all eternity, is not clearly known to the angels until they see it lived out through the church. This gives meaning to everything. Everything. This gives meaning to career ventures and weekend relaxation. This gives meaning to feeding the hungry and changing diapers. Hear me, you can coach Little League, you can coach Little League in such a way that the world around you experiences the fullness of God and angels in heaven get a better understanding of the gospel. If you coach like Jesus, if you coach with intentionality, if you coach with kindness, you can parent your children in such a way that the fullness of God is made known to the world and that angels understand the gospel better. There's meaning. You parent your kids with patience. If you sacrifice your time to serve your neighbor, if you refuse to cut corners at work, if you surrender your preferences to your spouse, if you let go of that grudge that you've been holding on to for so long. If you scroll prayerfully through social media instead of angrily through social media. If you let gossip die with you instead of spreading it on to the next person. If you speak that encouraging word to a stranger that it makes you feel awkward when you think about saying it. If you let that person in traffic go in front of you, right? if you let your good intentions be evil spoken of without getting riled up and feeling like you have to defend yourself, if you repent, even if it costs you, if you let someone else get the glory, and on and on the list could go of the basic everyday opportunities you have in this life, the unique places that God's put you, the unique opportunities given to you if you live like Jesus in those moments. You make the fullness of God known to the world. And you preach the glories of the gospel to the heavenly beings. That's meaning for your life. That's meaning for your walk with Jesus. That sort of living can turn your circle of influence, your families and the people around you can turn that world upside down. That type of living can turn this village of Barbersville upside down. That type of living can turn the places where we live and work and play in this tri-state area upside down, one uncelebrated small thing at a time. That's insane. That's the layered content of the mystery of the gospel. It's insane that God would use any of us. It's insane that God would save any of us, but He has. And that's beautiful. Now, Paul shows us the purpose of that mystery. Verses 11 and 12 read like this This, this mystery, was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. He says, Here's the nature of the mystery. And then he says what the purpose is. Verse 11 is the nature. It was eternally planned. And it's fulfilled in Jesus. That's the nature of it. God's always had this plan. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always shared this mysterious plan together. And the only way it could come to full fulfillment was through Jesus. And the purpose is in verse 12. This eternal and Christ-fulfilled plan was to bring us near to God and God near to us. And not just in position, right? Like you can be close to somebody and still feel like you don't belong there. It's not just positionally close. It's personally close. You have boldness and confidence as you access the Father that word boldness carries with it this idea of joyful confidence which is actually the other word that paul uses here but but it's not cockiness right we had this we, when we went to the rental car place there was this guy that was kind of doing security and he had some swagger right like he did you know like that kind of thing right he walked around like that i guess it's swagger i don't know what it's called that's not how we approach the thought that's not confidence right it's not cockiness. We come with confidence, boldness and confidence. Even this word carries with it the idea of speaking freely, that we can open our mouths before God and ask Him for things and speak to Him about things and be very blunt and straightforward. You've ever read the Psalms? you read how the psalmist talked to God? It almost sounds a little flippant and accusing sometimes. My life sucks. They'll say stuff like that. On those words, that's not the Hebrew, but they'll, they'll say stuff like that. They're open in presence of God. We can come to him boldly and with confidence is the other word. This is an assurance and certainty of the promises of God, which we now understand in 3D. So this mysterious, the layered layers of this layered mystery instill us now with confidence and boldness to come into the presence of God. Not just to be near Him, but to be near Him comfortably. To be near to Him authentically. To be near to Him openly. And there's comfort in that. And that's our final point, verse 13. So I ask you, Paul says, not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your Glory. Remember, Paul's in prison. We talked about that in the intro to this book. He's going to write four letters in this first stint in prison that he has in Rome. Ephesians is one of them. And when he thinks about the fact that he's in prison, and maybe he's even heard word of this from the churches that he's helped to plant and minister to, he hears that some of the saints are losing heart. There's two way reasons they may be losing heart. One is they're losing heart for their friend. Have you ever watched a friend suffer? If they're a dear friend, if there's someone close to you, if there's someone you love, then their suffering can cause you to lose heart. Why does that have to happen to them? All Paul's ever done since his conversion is be faithful. He's nearly been stoned to death. He's been shipwrecked. He's been kicked out of city after city. This man loves Jesus, serves Jesus, gives his life away for Jesus. Why does he have to suffer? That doesn't seem fair and maybe you're tempted to lose heart. Another reason is when you watch other saints suffer, maybe you think, what if that happens to me? If Paul has to suffer for the sake of the gospel, then how am I going to escape suffering for the sake of the gospel? And then maybe you lose heart because of that. Paul answers both questions says if you're losing heart because your friend me because i'm suffering i want you to know this it's for you that i'm suffering it's for your glory that i'm suffering i think we get a little bit of an understanding that our suffering biblically can be for our good personally What Paul is opening us up to is another layer to our suffering, that your suffering, his suffering can be good for other people. His suffering can be for the glory of other people. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 17 and 18. Paul says to the church at Corinth, for this light momentary affliction, this suffering that is being experienced, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. There's other translations that say it's a peculiar glory, a very specific and unique glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Suffering works together something we cannot see. And what it is working, the promise of God for His children, is that your suffering is uh, producing a specific, peculiar, intricate, unique glory for you. A glory whose weight you cannot understand. But the layer that Paul gives to that is that it's not just accomplishing that glory for you when you suffer. It's accomplishing that glory for others in your life. Don't believe me. Just think about our own. Pastor Josh and, and his wife Faith and their daughter Annie. Maddox and Hudson, if you've been around this story long enough, you know that Annie has suffered. That sweet little girl has suffered. And her mom and dad have suffered. And Maddox and Hudson have suffered. But if you've been around that story long enough, you know for a fact that as they've walked through that story with their eyes fixed on Jesus, proclaiming the excellencies of who Jesus is, even in the midst of the suffering, that it isn't just accomplishing a peculiar glory for Annie and Josh and Faith and Maddox and Hudson. It's accomplishing a peculiar glory for you as you watch the people of God suffer with grace and grit, with their eyes focused on Jesus. Paul says all these layers of this mystery, the layered layers of this mystery bring us that comfort, whether it's our suffering personally or the suffering of others around us, there is comfort and glory in the midst of it. We're back to the layers. God saves you, layer one. And he uses you. Layer two. And he doesn't use you like a puppet master moving chess pieces around on the board. No, he's a father. Layer three, Who says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you and you can come into my presence boldly like a child comes to their parents and asks for the most insane and dumb things that you would never ask somebody you weren't comfortable with for. Layer three, we come near to to him and all of those things are working together for a extraordinary comfort layer 4 because the god who saves you is the god who will keep you and the god who uses you is the god who will be faithful to accomplish his purse his purposes in you to the end and the god who beckons you to draw near, will never cast you out. So when he says there's comfort in suffering, in your suffering, when there's comfort in other people's suffering, it's true. When he says there's comfort even in the times of not suffering, it's true. You can be comforted by the reality that God's kingdom and your good are linked And both are invincible. Nothing can touch God's kingdom. And nothing can touch your good in Christ Jesus. God's working for you a peculiar glory through this multi-layered, layered, layered, layered mystery of the gospel. If you're not a Christian, believe the mystery today. That's my call to you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We were in these verses a few weeks back. Paul says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The mystery today for you is that even though your sin has separated you from God, you can be saved today by God through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You can come into a relationship with God where He will use you, He will be close to you, and He will comfort you by grace through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, all the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so that it didn't have to be poured out on you. The victory over sin and death was won which we couldn't win. And the ransom was paid for your freedom that we couldn't pay. And all you have to do is respond in faith, believing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. Trust Jesus today. If you have any questions about that, please let me know or Pastor Josh know or even if someone invited you that's a, that's a Christian, they, they, can, they can talk to you about that too. And if you are a Christian, two takeaways as we close. First, embrace layer number one. Embrace the fact that God saved you and to engage layer two that God will use you. Embrace the reality that God saved you and engage the reality that God is going to use you. We, apart from Jesus, had nothing, but in Jesus we have been saved. Which saves us from entitlement on one side, right? Like we can't, we don't walk through this life feeling entitled to all of God's promises. But we don't walk through this life feeling like a a sack of dung either, because, right? Although that reality was true of us before Jesus, and it's true. Apart from Jesus, we're nothing. Now in Christ, we have everything required for life. And godliness, embrace that reality with gratitude that should be the feeling in the christian feeling should not be entitlement or self-loathing it should be gratitude we as christians should see in our lives more and more thankfulness as we grow closer to jesus because we know who we are apart from jesus and we know who we are in jesus so how are you stirring up gratitude in your life if you're going to embrace layer one if you're going to embrace the reality that god saved you how are you going to stir it up that gratitude that's where the spiritual disciplines come in, and, and quite frankly, we we think like that God gave us these as chores. Sometimes, like you're going to need to read your Bible every day, and you're like, man, that I don't have time for that. That wasn't God's plan. It's to like saddle down your schedule with more stuff to do. God's calling you to those things because He wants you to taste and see that He's good. He wants you to experience the fullness of God. So, how in your week are you going to engage or embrace? the reality that God saved you. And then lastly, how will you engage layer two? The fact that God's going to use you. Be used by God. Might we be a church full of people who are used by God in the darkest places, right? If he calls us to go to the furthest reaches of the world, but also in the darkest nights, when our friends and people close to us are experiencing difficult things in the hardest places, right? Like like on, in places that are uncomfortable and, and difficult, but also with the hardest people. People in our life that we struggle to love in the furthest reaches, right? Like some of us may be called to go to the nations and how beautiful would that be? But also to those who are at arm's length. May God use all of us. Dirty slums and Dirty diapers are both opportunities to be used by God, by the way. Not one, one of those is not more worthy than the other. We tend to think that way sometimes, that like, whatever Mother Teresa did in the slums, like that was big time, like she was like on the A-team. That's not how Christianity works. Now if God calls you to the slums, you better go. Might God call some of us to, to radical things like that, what the world would call radical. But it's just as radical to change a diaper with a smile. You ever change a diaper? It's just as radical to change a diaper with a smile, knowing that this is an opportunity to invest in a life to engage someone with the realities of the kingdom. Homeless ministry and being present at home are both equal opportunities to be used by God. Might we be used by God? I can't close without affirming this reality. You guys are already being used by God. Those of you that have been with us for any matter of time, some of you in this room haven't even been with us physically, but you've invested deeply with us emotionally and financially. You guys are the church planters. I get that title, and it's not fair. It really isn't. I got a really cool backpack. Look at this cool backpack I got this week. Because I'm the church planter. So the Sin Network sends me a cool backpack. You guys don't get any backpacks. Sorry. But y'all are the church planters. We are a kingdom of priests. There's not one priest, it's not Josh and Paul. This isn't our church. You guys are the church planters. I mean that. And I'm so thankful for every single one of them. The investments that you've made. Some of you have had money to give. Some of you have time to give. Some of you have had networks and connections to give. And you guys have given those things. You guys are the church planters. It's a room full of church planters. You're being used by God. But how else will you be used by God? How else are you being used by God and will you be used by God? I challenge you this week to, to, to actually think about that, pray about that, maybe even journal your thoughts about that question. Get with God and ask that question. How am I being used by God and how will I be used by God? And might we be people in every area of our lives? who are used by God. It defies logic That God would save any of us, let alone that God would use any of us. And the great mystery of the gospel is that both of those things are an actual reality through Jesus. Might we embrace and engage that reality? Let's pray. Father, there's so much there. It's like drinking from a fire hose of grace and beauty. You're so good, you're so kind. Help us to love you more and and embrace that reality that you've saved us and help us to engage the reality that you want to use us. It's in the name of Jesus Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.